Antioch was the New York City of the day. The third largest city in the Roman Empire, half a million people there, lots of pagan worship, a busy port, a cosmopolitan city. And it's there that we find a healthy church. I am convinced that we need to rediscover the significance and the value of the church. Bill Hybels has famously said that the local church is the hope of the world. I really believe it. Let's not just make church a priority, let's allow it to be disruptive. Because when you look at the history of Israel, you see the disruption of the feasts and festivals, where people didn't say, do we have time for that? What's the weather like? But there was this sense of commitment to being together. It's Christmas time, but uh, we are still in our series uh, in the book of Acts uh, for this weekend, and we're going to dive right in. The title of this message is Get Out of Jail, and I want us to jump into Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12 and verse 1 says this. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. And when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city and this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street and then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, He went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter's standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. (laughs) When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and tell them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said, and then he left for another place. Uh, I'm one of those sad, unfortunate men who's a bit door-challenged. Door-challenged. Anyone like that? 
You go up to a door, you have to make a mental decision. Do I push or do I pull? Push or pull? And I confess to you, ladies and gentlemen, that 90% of the time, I get it wrong. I have a 50-50 chance, but normally choose the wrong way. Uh, My greatest door challenge actually happened at a conference I was speaking at in Canada. It was a leaders' conference. There were about a 1,000 leaders there, and I was about to speak, and I I hope it's not too much information. I decided to just pop into the bathroom. Uh, I need to share that because some people look at pastors, and they seem to think that pastors don't go to the bathroom. I mean, it's true, I was at one church in the bathroom and a guy came in and recognized me and he said, hello, Jeff. He said, I'm rather surprised to see you in here. (laughs) I'm thinking like, what do you think we do? Pray about it, you know. Anyway, I'm in this bathroom and in this particular church, ladies and gentlemen, they had loudspeakers in the bathroom so you could hear the service while using the facilities. Very helpful Christian multitasking. So I'm in there washing my hands, always a good idea, please, wash your hands. Can't believe I just said that. And suddenly through the loudspeakers I hear the, uh, the leader of the conference introducing me. And he said, Jeff Lucas is going to come now and, and speak to us. And I'm thinking, he's not. <laughs> and I wanted to scream, I'm in the bathroom, but I couldn't. No one would hear me. So I thought, I better get out of here really quick. So I went to push the door and the door would not open. And I can hear him saying, where's Jeff? Where's Jeff? I kicked the door. I put my shoulder to the door. I'm a man of prayer. So I rebuked the door. <laughs> wouldn't open. And then I looked into the mirror and realized that the exit door of the bathroom was actually behind me. And I just spent five minutes trying to break into the supplies cupboard. Thirty seconds later, I breathlessly ran up onto the platform to speak on the subject, what God is doing around the earth. I thought, how do I know? I can't even get out of the bathroom. This is really pretty sad. This story, ladies and gentlemen, is a story of Peter getting out of jail, but it's a story of two doors. A door that opens out of the prison, and a door that wouldn't open to get him into the prayer meeting. If you were here last weekend, the camera was focused on the church in Antioch. But now the camera angle changes. Two, another two years have passed in the life of the early church. And now the camera swings towards the church in Jerusalem. It's probably AD 44, somewhere around there. And what we see from this delightful story, and you can see a smile on Luke's face as he writes this, is more really helpful stuff about church and about us. So let's dive in. Uh, Follow along in the bulletin with me. First of all, let's see that the church is a community that embraces mystery. It's a community that embraces mystery. You see, the church in Jerusalem at this time was experiencing pressure. Last weekend we talked about some persecution in Antioch. In Jerusalem there was a Judean famine taking place. So the church there is economically struggling. But it's not just economics. Now there is outright persecution as well because a man by the name of Herod Agrippa, here is a statue 
of him has now been appointed as king and he is flexing his political muscles and attacking the church. Now, who is this man? Let's just look at his, his picture or a photograph of that statue for a moment. Well, he's the grandson of Herod the Great. Remember Herod the Great from the Nativity Massacre? So, Grandpa is a pathological mass murderer. Not only that, but he also brings murder into the family because Grandpa killed this man's father, Aristobulus, because he was worried that his son, Aristobulus, was going to steal his throne. So, Grandpa's a killer who kills a lot of babies and also kills his own son. And then this man is the nephew of another Herod. So you've got Herod the Great, you've got Herod the Gripper, you've got Herod the Tetrarch. And he's the guy that had John the Baptist killed. So when you step back and look at this family, um, you can see immediately two things. Uh, Number one, they were rather keen on the name Herod. I think we would agree. Um, on that, but they were also a bunch of bloodthirsty psychopaths, and so an invitation to the Herodian family reunion potluck would not be good at all. Herod Agrippa arrests some of the Christians. The word Luke uses means to lay violent hands upon them. He's trying to curry favour with the Romans because he doesn't want disorder in his kingdom. He's trying to curry favour with the Jews because the Jews were upset with this news of Jesus, the Messiah. So this is political stuff. Now, Peter is definitely on death row. How do you know that, Pastor Jeff? I'll tell you why. Because Luke tells us that Herod planned to bring him out after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Why? You couldn't execute a prisoner during the Passover. So it's very clear what Herod has intended and he has already executed James. Now, Peter is a maximum security prisoner. He is guarded by four squads of four soldiers each, 16. And on his right, he's chained to a soldier. On his left, he is chained to a soldier. Not only is this a community of suffering, But you see, it's a community of mystery. How so? Well, it goes like this. Peter gets out of jail. James doesn't. And we can forget that. Herod had James executed with the sword. Why did he do that? Because in Jewish culture, only the apostate or the criminal was executed by the sword. Herod doesn't only want to kill people, he wants to try and shame the church. James dies. Peter at this stage doesn't. Imagine how that must have felt for James's family. John, his brother. Salome, his mother. She had had high hopes for her, her sons, James and John. How about a throne for my boys, she said to Jesus. One on your right, one on your left. How would you feel if you were Salome? Your son dies and Peter doesn't. You see, what this says to us is that we will always, this side of eternity, have to steer through times of mystery where we just don't understand. It's not just unanswered prayer that provokes questions. Answered prayers provoke questions too. How come that got answered but this one didn't? I think 
Sometimes we can't begin to understand and we pretend that we do. The country singer talks about God calling him the man upstairs as if he's kind of a, just a superhuman who's living in the, in the attic available for our emergencies. The truth is that although Christmas is about the revelation of God, light coming into darkness, God revealing himself, but that doesn't answer every question. I want to say to those of us who are navigating through mystery right now, it's okay not to understand. It's okay to have the questions. If we think we've figured everything out about God, here's an idea that will blow a fuse in our brain, a truth. This mighty God who threw the universe into being became a speck in a virgin's womb. Wow. Right there we discover that mystery is a part of faith. It's okay not to know. Secondly, this is a people of persistent prayer. There are people of persistent prayer. Let me show you something that I didn't notice until I began to study for this message this week. James had been told by Jesus that he would suffer. Both James and John they were prophesied over by Jesus that they would drink a cup of suffering. James was executed. John would be exiled to the island of Patmos. But look at this. Peter was not only told that he would suffer, but that he would die a martyr's death. You read about it in the 21st chapter of John. So look at this. The church could have said, that's it then, this is it. He's on death row. Well, at least we were warned about this. So, it's just I suppose it's just the way it is. But they didn't. Not only did they pray, but there was intense prayer. The word that Luke uses is the same word that describes Jesus praying in agony in Gethsemane. They kept at it in prayer. Uh, it's the Greek continuous verb. They continued to pray. The prayer meeting probably lasted for a couple of days. Uh, they were passionate about it. The word that's used is actually used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in the book of Jonah, where the, the citizens of Nineveh cried out to God. So this was passionate. They prayed. Let, let, let me tell you something that I hope you'll understand. Prayer is a strange thing, isn't it? Prayer is a strange thing. Sometimes we wonder, has anyone ever wondered, well, why, why does God want us to bother to pray? Why didn't he just do it? And, and then you see on Facebook, people say, Fred needs a job, so we're asking as many people as possible to pray. Now, that, that in itself, can, if you think about it, can feel a little weird. I, I've been having a few further computer challenges this week with my demonized 666 megahertz Evil computer. So I ran a speed test. You can run a speed test to see how fast your Wi-Fi is going. Uh, you test the upload and the download speeds, and you, you get a reading. How many know basically what I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you don't. How many don't know and frankly do not care? Just read, okay. Well, I, I ran a speed test. You get this little, you get this little dial, and it, you know, and it should say, you know, yes, 20 Mbps. I think it is. I might have made that up, but I think it's 20 Mbps. And then, and then the upload speed, 16 of this. And in my case, you know. And I kind of wondered, you know, is God like that with prayer? 
An angel comes into God and says, you know, God, it's on Facebook. <laughs> uh, Fred needs a job. And, and God says, great, let's check out the old prayerometer. The angel goes, okay. Lord, we have 6,322 people who are praying for Fred to get a job. And the Lord says, you know what? I'll tell you what we'll do. If we get 9,000, we'll give them a job. I don't think it's like that. Listen carefully. I think that God does want us to get as many people to pray as possible. I think that God does want us to participate in praying together. Do I understand totally how it works? No. No. What I do know is that a praying church is a church that's powerful. Max Licato said it wasn't a confident committee that prayed in a small room in Jerusalem for Peter's release from prison. It was a fearful, desperate band of backed-into-a-corner believers. It was a church with no options, a congregation of have-nots pleading for help, and never were they stronger. Next time we're really, next year we're really believing is going to be a year of springtime for us in Timberline. And let me, let me just say this, stand by for further and more calls to corporate prayer because we want to press further into praying together and let's not only pray but let's know how to change our prayers when we need to this weekend uh, a friend Timberline Timberline guy together with his wife Marsha Les Demos went into the presence of the Lord after a long, brave, courageous battle. Tremendous sense of humor that Les had. A couple of days before he passed, he sent me a text with a photograph of him and uh, with his thumb up, uh, staring at his final moments. And I went to see him shortly before he passed and breathlessly, taking a breath for each word, He said, better days ahead. And then he put up his thumb. This brave man, together with his courageous, faithful wife, Marsha, knew how to die. And I thought, what a privilege it was to not only pray for his healing, but be able to pray for a good goodbye. And I said, Les, uh, I may see you on Saturday. I'll stop by. And if, if I don't get to see you on Saturday, then I'll, lis- I'll listen out for your laughter in heaven. It's not good night. It's not goodbye. It's good night. See you in the morning. And he nodded. But I know of people who pray for healing, but they never know when to stop praying for healing and start praying for peaceful departure. Shouldn't we be able to say goodbye? This is a praying, praying church. Thirdly, it's a fragile group of flawed human beings. It's a fragile group of flawed human beings. This church is experiencing big, miraculous stuff. I mean, the the angel of the Lord appears in a prison cell. Light shines in the cell. Chains fall off of Peter's wrists. And then they, they go out past the guards, and I love this, the door opens by itself. Uh, the word that is used there in the Greek 
is the, uh, the word automati, from which we get our word automatic. So before electricity and automatic door openers, Luke is saying, by God's grace and power, the door automatically opened. It, I mean, it's wonderful, it's angelic, it's amazing, and it's a big mess. Because look at Peter. First of all, he's asleep. That's good. I, that's really courageous. I would not be asleep the night before my execution. I would be practicing my screaming <laughs> and sending emails to my loved ones. He's asleep. And then it says the angel had to wake him up. And it said that he, it, the angel uh, had to... The, the Greek word c- could imply a slap or a kick. Isn't that great? I love that. It's like, get up. And Peter's like... And the angel has to give dressing instructions to Peter. The angel says, get dressed. Put your sandals on. Put your coat on. Follow me. I mean, you can almost imagine the angel going, duh. And Peter follows the angel out. And 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 Luke says, and he did not know what was happening. I love that. He'd be busted out of jail in Acts chapter 5. So he'd done this thing before, but he, he's like, he doesn't know what happens. And then the angel leaves him and he decides to go to the prayer meeting. Now come with me in your imagination to the house of John Mark. Because there the Christians are praying for Peter. Can you imagine it? Someone stands up and says, right now, Lord, we are believing. We are believing that you can release Peter in Jesus' name. Because it works better if you say like, like that. They're all going, amen, amen. Head-butting tambourines in the corner. Somebody else stands up and prays, oh God, you're the God of the miraculous. You can do anything, release Peter. We believe it, we receive it. And and someone probably says, Rhoda, we're we're deeply investing ourselves in the powerful ministry of prayerful and faithful intercession. So could you just go, go and answer the door? So Rhoda goes to the door, the gate, the door in the gate, and she, she goes, hello? It's, it's Peter. He's still on the run. He's still a fugitive. He can still be taken back to the... Peter. What? Peter. And I love it, because it's like Monty Python. Luke says, and she was so amazed that she forgot to open the door. (laughs) Took an angel to get Peter out of jail. It would take more than an angel to get him into the prayer meeting. And she goes back in, and by now, brother, brother George is standing, and he's praying, oh, God, release him. And she says, excuse me, sorry sorry to trouble you, but... um, What? What? He's outside. Who? Peter, don't be so stupid. (laughs) You've seen his ghost. There was a Jewish belief that after death, a person's spirit or an angel would hang around for a while. You've seen his ghost. Let's just get back on with the praying. And I love what Luke says. Meanwhile, Peter carried on knocking. You know what you see here? You see ordinary people 
struggling to do faith. I love that. See, God only uses ordinary people. Nothing else is available. It's that time of the year when we're going to get those nauseating Christmas newsletters from the perfect Christian family. Oh, I despair. You get that little newsletter with the holly and the photographs of the perfect Christian family. Dad is smiling, mum is smiling, the kids are smiling, the pet boa constrictor is grinning. And then you read the appalling letter, praise the Lord, it's been a marvellous year. Little Jimmy now plays 37 musical instruments. Fluent in Hebrew, praise the Lord. And you read it. And you hate them. (laughs) I'm kidding. The truth is that we're ordinary, fragile, flawed. Hey, listen up. Count yourself in. Count yourself in. Because Acts doesn't reveal a group of superheroes. But a people who pray, but then wonder what's going on when the prayer is answered. Fourthly, It's a band of travellers here who navigate through change. It's a band of travellers who navigate through change. We might not notice this if we're not careful. Peter tells them to be quiet when he finally gets in. He says, tell James what's happened, and then he left for another place. Apart from Acts 15, this is the last time you're going to see Peter in the book of Acts. This is transition time. James, the brother of Jesus, is going to take over leadership of the Jerusalem church. Now the focus is going to swing away from the twelve to the ministry of the Apostle Paul. It's change time. If you will, it's springtime. Everything is changing. I want to say that I believe that as a church... We need to go into 2016 just willing and open for change. That we do things sometimes, I think in 2016, you're going you're gonna to say, well, we haven't done this before. We haven't done it that way before. Let's be open to change. And sometimes we Christians don't like that. Uh, I told you about this before, I think, I don't know, but I, I could tell you of a church in England right now where they really struggled with change. So much so that they came to a point, this church, where they needed to change the waste paper bin in the ladies' bathroom. You would think this was not a cataclysmic decision. The church was growing. The small bin, which had faithfully served the ladies of the church for many years, was now insufficient. And so they needed a larger bin. So the board met to discuss it. And they said, look, we're a little bit concerned because the ladies of our church have been somewhat accustomed to this bin, perhaps even attached to it, and we don't want to to create any bin trauma. So what they did is they put the new bin next to the small bin with the strategy that once the ladies have become accustomed to the new large bin, they could quietly remove the small bin without too much turbulence. How many of you would agree with me? This is insane. If you can't change the bins, honey, you're never going to change the world. Anyway, I shared this at a conference and people laughed. And at the end of that session, a man came down the center aisle 
his eyes wide and staring. He was not happy with me. I am not happy with you, he said, confirming that suspicion. (laughs) Why is that, sir, I said. Well, he said, I'm from the church with the bins. (laughs) Ah, ah. Lovely to meet you, sir, I said. He said, I'm really offended with you. I said, sir, may I, Darry Northrop, apologise to you. <laughs> he's mad. He's, he's like blood wrestle, you know, like veins sticking out. And he said, you laughed at our church. He said, what you don't know is that that, that small bin was donated to the church by my family when my grandmother died. Now I'm freaking out. (laughs) I'm so, I'm so, so, I was almost in tears. But in my mind I'm thinking, what kind of sick old family? (laughs) Huh? Whoop! Grandma died? Let's buy a bin for the bathroom. (laughs) What's that about? I mean, we could have the Jeffrey Lucas Memorial Toilet Brush, couldn't we? (laughs) Yes, every time we use it, we think of his hairstyle. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Some of you are looking at me right now going, Yeah, I wonder what that was I was thinking. (laughs) I struggled for about ten minutes. He put me through agony. And then after ten minutes of apologising and almost crying, he looked at me and he suddenly went, I'm joking! (laughs) (laughs) But sometimes we're not joking. What is it? What is it? when it comes to change, that would make us quickly say, can't do that, we've never, never done that. Not done it that way before. These band of travellers navigate through significant change. Well, lastly, this is a resurrection family that knows where the real power is. A resurrection family that knows where the real power is. Let me read to you about what happened. It's from verses 20 onwards. Now Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, so they sent a delegation to make peace with him because their cities were dependent on Herod's country for food. The delegates won the support of Blastus, Herod's personal assistant, and an appointment with Herod was granted. When the day arrived, Herod put on his royal robe, sat on his throne, and made a speech to them. The people gave him a great ovation, shouting, shouting, It's the voice of a god, not of a man. Instantly, an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness because he had accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God. So he was consumed with with worms and died. Meanwhile, Luke says, using one of his favorite phrases, the word of God continued to spread and there were many new believers. This is not just a matter of biblical history. Josephus, a Jewish historian, recorded a story about Herod. Herod had himself been in prison. He'd criticized the emperor, spent time in prison. While in prison, he looked out of the window and saw an owl. An owl. Owl. 
a fellow prisoner, a fellow prisoner said to him, this is a symbol of good fortune. But if you ever see another owl, it will be a symbol of bad fortune. Well, he became king. That was good. But then Josephus, the historian, says that on the day that this happened, Herod saw another owl. Luke doesn't include the ornithological details, but he says he was struck by a disease. Josephus says five days later, this man died. Scholars have looked at this, probably being struck with appendicitis leading to peritonitis. Also, it's kind of gross, but infestation of worms uh, in the stomach was very common in the Near East at that time. Here's the point. Luke wants us to know where the real power is. You see, ladies and gentlemen, as we come towards the end of a year that has been filled with fear and threat, I think we should affirm this day that this God is not only the one who came in the form of a helpless baby in a manger, the one who came to rescue us, but that he is also the one who holds the power and the might and the glory. The book of Revelation is not designed to simply be some kind of calendar for the second coming. The book of Revelation is about declaring, in the end, God wins. And my brothers and sisters, today we affirm as we move into this season that Jesus was a baby, but he didn't stay as a baby. He grew up. He taught us the principles of the kingdom. He went to the cross. He died there. He stared into the face of the greatest challenge any of us face, death itself. He rose again from the dead. Right now, he is seated on the right hand of the Father. And we have placed our trust in him. So as the angels said, a bunch of confused shepherds and as the angels often say don't be afraid because there are Herods out there but in the end Luke says the word of God continued to grow and spread our faith is in the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. And everybody said with great passion. So glad you said amen then and not with great passion. Which, let's face it, would have been weird. Let's pray. We thank you that you are the mighty one. We thank you that in you, Lord, is the power and the glory. We thank you that our planet is not abandoned, spinning out of control. Herods are out there, but ultimately the power is in your hand. And our faith is in you. Risen Jesus. Let's just keep our heads bowed for a moment.
I'm going to ask three questions and if you want to respond to any of these three, there's going to be a moment of response in a few seconds. I'd love to pray with you if you're in a place of mystery right now. You don't understand what's going on, but you'd, you need strength to trust God even though you're surrounded by question marks. In a moment, I'd like you to respond. I'd like you to respond in a moment if you're, if you're staring at a closed door. It's locked and bolted. The hinges are rusty. You see, I, you say, I, I need God to open a door for me. You know what that means. And thirdly, I'd like you to respond if you'd like to give your life to Christ. In Him is the power, the might, the glory. He died on that cross, dealing with everything that separates us from God. Raised again, now inviting us to invite Him. Not just for Christmas, but for life. And if you'd like to respond and say yes to him, you can join in with this as well. So if you're in a place of mystery, a place where you need a door to open, a place where you want to surrender your life to Christ, before I pray again and we move on, as our heads are bowed and I look around, would you just slip up your hand and hold it there for a second, please? Around the room, people are doing that. You can lower your hands. Before I pray, let me say that at the end of this service, our prayer team will be here. If you're becoming a Christian, there's no formula prayer you need to pray. Just call on the name of the Lord from your heart, asking Him to rescue you, to save you, forgive you, asking Him to take charge. Right in your heart, do it where you are right now, this decisive moment. And our prayer team will be here to help you with materials to help encourage you as well, which we'd love to give you. For those who need courage, Lord, in the face of mystery, grant bravery, open locked doors, rusted and closed for a while. Reveal yourself to those who are calling upon you for the first time. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.